Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for High Velocity Radio. Welcome to Coach the Coach, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time. If you're a business coach and want to help more people make more money and own your backyard, go to brxteam.com. We are broadcasting live on the High Velocity Radio Show and on the Business Radio X Network. Lee, this is going to be a fantastic segment. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast co-author of The Coaching Effect, Mr. Bill Ekstrom. How are you, man? I am great. How are you, gentlemen? We are doing well. Well, Bill, before we get too far into things, can you talk about the Excel Institute? How are you serving, folks? Oh, well, thank you. Wow, what a wonderful way to lead into a question, right? Or an interview, anyway. Um, The Excel Institute is a research-based organization that studies the impact of coaching on the performance of teams. Uh, Primarily our work is done in sales departments of organizations and we help organizations, uh, managers become better coaches is what we do. And we monitor, track, and we can actually measure coaching effectiveness um, within organizations. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. So you believe in measuring things rather than going with gut feelings. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, I actually, I believe in both. I really do. But uh, I use data and measurements to affirm perhaps what I feel. And in a lot of cases, it disaffirms what I feel. So now, how do you define the difference between managing and coaching? Um, Wow, really good question again. Uh, Managing is about measuring inputs in order to get predictable outcomes. And think about uh, Ford's assembly line. You see, the, the science and study of management came about in the industrial era in our country. And so you really don't have to think much further than uh, assembly lines, uh, using that as an example. Coaching, on the other hand, um, is about everything that involves improving performance. So while managing is about predictable inputs and outcomes, coaching is about things to grow and sustain performance. So for coaching to happen, I've never known a great coach that wasn't great at identifying and acquiring the best talent. I've never not a great coach. It wasn't great at strategy, at planning, at motivation. So coaching does a better job of encompassing everything it takes, not just to create performance, but to grow and sustain it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, do you find that, um, that in today's world, that coaching or being coached or having a coach is kind of a must-have for managers today? And for leaders, as opposed to maybe a nice to have or only for the elite, maybe a few years ago? Uh, The short answer to that question is yes. I think the fastest growing field in coaching is executive coaching, which that's not what we do. But in terms of of scale, 
Um, that's a huge growth industry. Um, coaching too often, everybody thinks it applies to just frontline workers. Uh, when the reality is the performance of a team, when we talk about this in the book quite a bit, it, the performance of a team is always a reflection of how that team is coached. And that starts at the top. So I have a, I have a coach. Um, I, we recommend everybody should have somebody in their life to help them to really challenge the way they view the world, challenge the way they view their teams, challenge the way they view their businesses, so on and so forth. So absolutely, everybody should have somebody in that realm. So now, is that because of the fact that today in the internet world that we live in, that information is coming at us fast and furious, and that it's just very difficult for an individual to keep track of all of that, plus um, all the stimulus and distractions, it's hard to stay on track and focus, that people need somebody to kind of watch their back a little bit? Um, I'm thinking about, about that. I think those are all, uh, yes, it, it's never a single thing. I think there are a lot of things, but certainly those, those are items. The others, it's, they have a tendency, we have a tendency in, in coaching roles, which we'll use that term as opposed to leadership. Sometimes I use it synonymously, but we need to be challenged in everything we do. See, we're, we're busy running a business, working on the business, working in the business in a lot, in, in most cases. And we hear all the time from, especially with senior leaders, you know, when it comes to, um, we'll ask them sometimes, we'll say, do you, do you think you're a finished product? Well, of course they don't. Nobody, nobody would answer that question I, that they feel like they're a finished product. But when you dig and probe further about what do they do to educate themselves, to challenge the way they think, to challenge most, to challenge their behaviors, chances are they haven't done much of anything outside of reading an article out of the Wall Street Journal or Forbes or something like that. So you find there's a, for some people, there's a lack of that kind of uh, quality of lifelong learner that they think that, hey, I've got enough information, I can now just do what I've done? You know, that's a good way to put it, but yes, I, I think there is a lot of that. Or worse yet, um, well, I won't say worse yet, but, but equally as bad is their learning and growth, their development comes only within their respective industry. And that's really, really limiting. So let's talk about your work and your program. So how do you serve, uh, you work with companies and you work with the management team typically? Uh, yes, that's, that's all we work with is, is, is the leadership team within organizations. Um, and really, I think simplistically, the best way to describe it is that we follow a four-step coaching process and that involves measurement, where we go in and measure the actual effectiveness, the coaching effectiveness of their leadership teams. Um, and we can actually give them a, a numeric number, one through 100. Uh, we educate and develop their people. 
So that would be step number two. Step number three is there's an implementation platform and process and program because we know people don't just sit in a a a, uh, a training session and come out and change their habits and behaviors. They just don't. It's that simple. So there has to be some sort of accountability partners and programming involved. Um, and then the last step involved data. Um, we analyze, we go back and measure all kinds of things. We measure their behaviors, we measure their activities, and we correlate all that back to team performance and growth. So um, we put a lot of data together to help people understand how their actions and behaviors impact those around them. Now, what's the pain the organization's having where uh, they decide, you know what, it's time to call the Excel folks? <laughs> You're kind to ask. Um, it, it, you know, funny, it, a lot of people think it's organizations that find themselves in trouble. They're not growing. That's not it. We, we get very few of those calls, actually. Um, and in the book, we even talk about that. The ones who we end up working the most with are people that are growing and they're afraid of it slowing down. Those, th that's where we get our, our most of our clients and, and our partners or, or organizations follow that model. They like it and their leaders are afraid that it might slow down. And while things are well, they better make investments again. And that's probably a good fit for you in terms of people that you can work with because they already have the mindset of they just want to keep sharpening the saw and being better. And you said something really, really key there, Lee, which is mindset. But that is spot on. It, it's all about the mindset of those leaders. That's right. Now, what's your backstory? How did you get into this line of work? Have you always been a coach? Uh, not, well, it, it, it I suppose in roundabout ways, yes, if you include everything from my kids' athletics to, you know, I've always done a lot of mentoring with youth um, here in Nebraska, but I spent most of my career in the sales and then sales leadership arena, and then um, I was terminated from a job that really inspired me then following that to start this organization, which I did 10 years ago. And then now you're helping kind of managers get the most out of their people through coaching? Yeah. You know, if, when, when you think about it, using, again, sales departments as an example, people want to grow sales. They typically make an investment into the salespeople. And, but yet every leader, if you ask them if the performance of the salespeople is a reflection of how they're coached, and they all say yes. Then you say, okay, well, what are you doing for your leaders? And they can't tell you. They just, well, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that there's always this inherent trap everybody falls into. They need to know more about what their leaders are doing and not doing and less about what their salespeople are doing and not doing. So I know my leaders are doing and I know how well they're doing it. The salespeople will follow. I mean, the military forever says, hey, there's no such thing as bad troops. We only have bad leaders. Now, is that a corporate culture problem or is this a lack of leadership? It can't be lack of knowledge that leadership's important and kind of walking the walk's important. Um, you know, 
that question is, it, it's probably not as easy. And <laughs> I think part of it is the latter of, of those. It's lack of knowledge. Because if you were to say to the leaders, which we have in, in, in our research, uh, shows this a lot, but leaders have no idea what to do to get more performance from the people on their teams. Does that make sense? So they think just they, yell they, louder? Well, <laughs> ironically, uh, you know, well, of course, it's typically, I hope it's not yelling, but what they'll do is, um, and you'll hear this quite a bit, and we hear it within larger organizations a lot. Well, we're missing numbers, or we're behind on numbers, or we need to hit better numbers. And so you'll hear senior leaders say things like, well, go coach your people up. Go coach them more. Well, here's the irony of that. If a manager is a bad coach, if I'm a frontline manager and I'm a bad coach, and you're telling me to go spend more time with my people, our research shows they're actually more likely to inhibit performance than enhance performance. And that's because so you go tell somebody who's right, bad to coach more and you're actually having the opposite effect you want it to have. Well, because they are coaching more and they're not good. So they're... Exactly. I'm doing right. And I'm probably just making salespeople upset and frustrated. And, and back to your point, the, the, their idea of coaching more is getting tighter with the numbers, you know, show me more of your numbers. Show me, show me more of your data salesperson. Tell me the deals you're working on. Well, guess what? If that's what you're leaning on, um, you know, we show on a research that's, well, as a matter of fact, the number one thing salespeople complain about uh, with their managers is all they want to do is talk about numbers. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Coach the Coach, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time. Featuring today's guest, co-author of The Coaching Effect, Mr. Bill Ekstrom. If you're a business coach and want to help more people make more money and own your backyard, go to brxteam.com. Bill Stone Payton with Business Radio X here. I've been listening into your conversation with Lee. I have 103 questions, but I'd love to ask two in the time. Good. <laughs> I look forward to it, Stone. Uh, so, so one for me, uh, and, and just to give you some context, I am not out in the marketplace. Um, needing to sell my services as a coach. I do find myself wearing that hat here at the Business Radio X Network. Uh, counting us, we have nine studios. We'd like to have a lot more. And I am in uh, the role of trying to uh, to coach. I think that's the right word. Our mm -hmm. other eight studio partners in how to help their clients help people and make money and, and, and live into our mission in these uh, various markets uh, that they're trying to to serve. My first question with regard to, though, marketing a coaching practice, how does the whole sales and marketing thing work for a guy like you? And I ask because it seems like it could get a little crowded out there and a little difficult to to do the selling part before you even get to start practicing your craft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, good. That's a good question, Stone. And I think a couple uh, – one primary thing is we're not um, people don't hire us to say to coach an executive. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. If an organization comes forward and says, Hey, 
I want all my managers to know how to become an effective high growth coach. That's when we would get the phone call. That's who we go after. So we gotta go after organizational teams, not an executive who calls up and says, hey, I wanna be a better coach. I'm the president of a company. Can you guys help me? We, we can, but that's really not our hands-on primary service, if that makes sense. Well, it does make sense, and it suggests to me that you've chosen to be very distinctive in the market in that regard. You've, you've chosen this niche. You've decided you're going to get really good at, and maybe by now you are, really good at serving organizations who have that set of challenges and are looking for people with specialized knowledge and expertise in meeting those challenges. So, uh, well, uh, congratulations to you for, for meeting that, for meeting that challenge. So maybe if I were to ever have to go outside to market or maybe some of our coach listeners, maybe part of the lesson to them is to try to, well, I'll ask you, I won't put words in your mouth. Would you maybe counsel them to rifle in on a, um, I guess for lack of a better term, niche, uh, I know my business partner, Lee, he, he often says, uh, niches make riches. Um, I, I think there's, there's, there's two approaches that uh, to be w- within those niches is certainly wise. And, and I, you know, right now, for example, um, with my coach in, in, you know, I can't imagine my world without her right now. And I think organizations um, or or coaches that want to do that, absolutely. They can niche certain markets. They can, they can niche in sales. They can niche in in executive leadership. They can niche in the, in the president CEO market. There's a lot of different places they can go with it. So um, I think it always makes sense to start off within a niche and then only expand when you become great at something within that. And then maybe you can determine whether your product and service is, is could be used more globally. Like we've discovered that within our, within our organization, you know, everything started in sales leadership and it was some presidents and CEOs that said, Hey, you guys, come on. All this applies to everybody, everybody in a leadership role. It doesn't apply to just my sales team. Well, we believe that anyway, but we, that's where we started. And it was the marketplace that asked us to expand. It wasn't a deliberate move on our behalf. If that, You see what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying. And, and uh, I think I would much prefer, and it's probably just better mojo all the way around, if you do that and um, set things up through that deliberate set of behaviors so that the marketplace is asking you instead of you going out and shouting from the rooftops at the marketplace. Uh, so I like that. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I'll try to take oh, that. You're welcome. And, and I, well, I'll try to incorporate it if I ever find myself marketing to the outside, but I also wonder there probably is some direct application for me learning what we do learn here, coaching internally and trying to help our people help their people. And then we may find things that, wow, yeah, this is helpful for another market. And if we can find a way to solve a set of problems, uh, meet an unmet need, you know, maybe we can help more people and make more money like that. So, I'll take that to heart. Thank, thank you for that. Well, yeah, and, and if I may real quick, yeah. you know, one of the things you may, that, that tie into that that we haven't covered yet, but it's important to know because whether I'm a personal coach working with an executive, um, um, coaching a coach, 
there's really four primary, and this is what we see in our research, there's four primary things that coaches do that get the most performance. And one of the things that I know that you were leaning towards is, is relationship. That's the foundation of performance. And that's one of those things that regardless of whether I'm in, uh, working in a niche with a CEO or whether it's doing something like we do working throughout organizations uh, on a broader scale, everything starts with relationships and especially trust-based relationships. Because with that in place, none of the other stuff I do or you want to do as a coach is really going to be effective. Wow. Well said. I have a feeling we're bumping up against what you're going to have to say about my next question. So I think we might get a chance to hear about the other three you mentioned four. Uh, my next question was going to be about kind of what you and Lee started the conversation with uh, in the beginning around measures. Uh, here again, to give you a little context, in our world, media, specifically digital radio, you'll find people measuring or counting a whole lot of different things, uh, views and listeners and um, and, 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 and website visits and popularity. And of course, <laughs> Lee and I, we're getting a little long in the tooth and maybe a little cynical, but we're pretty quick to say, you know, just cause you can count something doesn't mean that it counts. Uh, and so our whole business model is even built on all that stuff. Uh, but my question, in fact, we call some of those metrics, uh, we call them cosmetics as in cosmetic <laughs> metrics. Right. Right. Uh, but I'm wondering as a coach, um, as a coachee, as an organization footing the bill for coaching, um, what are maybe some of the cosmetics, or if we don't, it's not important that we identify those as much as it is, what are some things that we darn sure better be measuring? Oh, wow. Arguably the most powerful question so far in this conversation. Um, and this is where really it, it gets uh, organizations really get funky. I mean, again, I'm going to continually fall back on sales as an example, just because we have so much data and research there. But most organizations track what salespeople do. They track where they go. They track the visits they make. They, they may track dials of the phone. We had one, one client say to us, we know when our salespeople stop for a Starbucks because we have GPSs in their cars. <laughs> they tell you how many conversations they've had, what stage of the sales process they're in, their average selling cycle, their average revenue per sale, on and on and on. They just have all kinds of metrics and cosmetrics to, to use your lingo. But if you ask them, okay, well, where were your managers last week? They would say, um, they, I think we're working with salespeople. Oh, you think? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there were some of them were in the field. Okay, what salespeople were they with? Well, I'd have to go back and look, uh, and I'd have to review their expense reports. Here's my point of all this. They can't tell you where they were last week, let alone last month. The metrics they should be tracking, the metrics they should be understanding, simple things. Like, what, what if an organization found out that their top performing managers spend an average 120 days in the field, but yet their bottom performing managers only spend 80 days in the field with salespeople? They would probably have, hey, you're going to have a minimum metric that we got to hold you accountable to, right? Right. What if they found out that um, the coaching quality of 80% of their managers was a C minus and the top 20% averaged an A minus? We'd, they'd want to know what the difference is. 
if they want to understand metrics, how many times are those managers holding one-to-one meetings with their salespeople? Because that's what one of the what our research shows is a high what we call high growth activity. That's a key coaching metric. One-on-ones held. Another key metric and the another key activity is career development plans. Are they doing career development plans, having career development conversations with the people on their team? Because that is another motivator. If they go and spend time with their people, are they doing objective feedback? I mean, come on. How do we grow if we're not getting objective feedback from somebody, right? Right. I mean, everything beyond that then would just be a guess. But yet, less than 5% of coaches, before we get to them, do objective, provide objective feedback. Think about that. But how do they do objective feedback? Like, what are the metrics they're using to give feedback on? Ooh, good question. Uh, it depends on what the job set is and the skills needed to be successful. So in sales, using that as an example again, um, it could be things like uh, the ability of the salesperson to develop a trust relationship, the ability of the salesperson to ask good questions, the ability of the salesperson to identify needs, the ability of the salesperson to transition and put together a follow-up communication that summarizes all the next steps and actions, the ability of the person to do a logical sequential presentation that fulfills the prospect's needs or client's needs. The ability of that salesperson to articulate next steps and close. Um, The ability of that salesperson to accurately document within a CRM. Those are all skills that a manager should be able to coach to and improve. That's part of your service as you come in and then you help them develop the, okay, these 14 points are the things you're going to be measured on. And then we come up with some sort of a criteria to go through, you know, that you've done this or you've accomplished this or that. Yeah, we don't develop the 14, you know, the, the whatever the skills are measuring are. I mean, we have general guidelines. What we do is we teach the coach how to get those. We teach the coach how to um, um, grade and analyze those. We teach the coach how to provide effective feedback. We teach the coach what is it you do and don't do that creates stronger trust-based relationships. We teach the coach how do I do an effective career development plan and conversation with the people on my team. And then we track the quantity of that work and the quality of that work. Then how do you define the quality? (laughs) You're asking really good questions. Um, Through the eyes of the people on the team. We call it our coaching effect survey. And it is quite literally measuring, which is also the title of our book, but it is measuring the effect through the eyes of the people on, on their team, which quite frankly is obviously the only way to truly to measure a coaching relationship is to go to those being coached. So it's individual to the person, the individual that that coach is coaching. Uh, That is correct. Now let's talk about the book a little bit. How did the book come about? Um, You know, I've never been asked that. Everybody wants to has other questions, but I love that question. Um, Organically, 
it was our um, colleagues and clients. Um, I was fortunate enough to get asked to the TEDx stage and following that, people would say, well, do you have a book? Um, clients would say, have you guys written a book on this stuff? Um, people in education, uh, gurus and gurettes and leadership um, had wanted to know why we hadn't put a book together yet. So, so that was the motivator along with another bizarre story that maybe we'll get into sometime. So now when you said, okay, we're going to put a book together, did you, was it difficult for you to kind of compile your wisdom into this format or was this something that just came easy to you? Um, I would be lying if I said it came easy. Um, I think for my co-author colleague and close friend, Sarah, it's, it's much easier. Now, finding the time to do it wasn't easy. She's just, a, she, she's just, um, I think more equipped to write. She's a more concise writer. She's able to, it probably takes me twice as long to get through writing as it does her. Um, but we, you know, so in the midst of creating the book, we still have the business to run and the client needs to meet and strategies to devise. But uh, so it was a pain in the rear, quite frankly, but it was a, a, a labor of love. But now that it's done or towards the end of being done, is it something that you feel helped you kind of crystallize your thinking and articulate your message? Did it help in that regard or did you, you already had this down? Oh, no. Um, what you said is so true. When you are forced to put all of your thoughts, all of your work in writing, it it, it makes it so much more concrete. It forces you to be succinct and articulate. Um, it is, it's an amazingly precise exercise and it helped our business grow. It's helped in our strategies. It's helped in our marketing. There's, there's no downside at all to what we've done. So now before we wrap, do you have any actionable pieces of advice for coaches out there that are just maybe getting into coaching, uh, something that they could do that would uh, smooth out their learning curve? Uh, I would say, number one, do not take the relationships for granted, that everything begins there. And number two, and this came out of our research, this was probably arguably one of the things that surprised us the most, surprised us the most within the research, is create some discomfort for yourself and for your people. But you can't do it without having a relationship first, because growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. So if all we do is use a relationship to keep things as is, you're not creating growth. You have to create some healthy discomfort and for yourself as well as the people whom you're coaching in order to continually grow. So, but in order to create that tension and discomfort, you have to have a high level of trust, which is what you mentioned yep. a lot earlier. Yep. yep. Or you're just a jerk. Right. <laughs> and you won't get listened to. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I've heard people use the worst language, but. <laughs> Now, Bill, if somebody wanted to learn more, get a hold of your book or uh, have a more substantive conversation with you and your team, uh, what's the website? Oh, uh, the website is excelinstitute.com, which is E-C-S-E-L-L. -L. So it's 
and then sell.institute.com. The name of the book is The Coaching Effect. And um, The Coaching Effect hits the bookshelves on April 2nd. It's been ordered. It's, uh, you can pre-order now on Amazon. And the book will be shipped on April 2nd. We just got notice from the warehouse that 4,000 books have been shipped uh, to the distributors. So we're really, really excited for that. But April 2nd is when it's going to hopefully fly off the shelves. Good stuff. Well, Bill Ekstrom, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Once again, the website is excelinstitute.com, ecellinstitute.com. Thank you again, Bill, for sharing your story. Gentlemen, thank you. Make it a wonderful rest of your day. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio. 